decentralization is super hard. What we saw back then with the creative style was that a lot of money was given out to different parties and not everybody has good intentions to build something serious in the ecosystem. So it was just a wild distribution of funds. And I feel that it's super important to have a DAO-like structure in distributing funds. And that is what the NDC is now aiming to achieve. That was Carolyn Geyer, co-founder at Mintbase and community fund trustee. On this interview, we go full circle from CreateBase, one of the very first communities on Near, to becoming a community fund trustee, the ultimate master of the funds. Along the way, we'll learn from Mintbase recent milestones and upcoming roadmap, including their grants program, AI, wallet, and a lot more. Unfortunately, Caroline only had one hour, so this is a short and sweet podcast packed with insights and a lot of wholesome stories, including some cheeky schemes to buy whiskey. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Caroline Gaia. Bye. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today, I've got with me Caroline Geyer, co-founder at Mintbase. How are you, Caroline? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, yeah, perfect. I, I had my doubts, which is embarrassing because I should have some practice before as I believed I've pronounced that surname before. No, it was perfect. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you are co-founder at Mintbase. Mintbase has been going for eight years. Eight years? Probably not eight years. No, since 2019. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Still a very long time. So I'm super curious <laughs> to know how did someone that has been going on for so long get into crypto and especially that very niche area before all the NFTs as we know them popped off much more recently? Probably I will start with how I met Nate and then I can get into why he got into NFTs. Back in 2018, I was working in German parliament. I was a research assistant for a member of parliament researching blockchain technology. So I was writing speeches and position papers on blockchain. It was super trendy back then, but no one really had a clue what was going on, including myself, because I studied something just like business marketing related, nothing to do with blockchain. So I had this task to research about the technology and look into what areas could blockchain technology really change and have the biggest impact in. And then I met Nate my husband now and co-founder in Berlin. And he was working on this NFT technology. I was like, what is that? <laughs> Had no idea what he was working on. And then I told him what I was working on, distributed ledger technology. And he was like, what is that? And I was like, that's blockchain. You don't know this term. <laughs> yeah. Oh so I, yeah, it was hilarious. Just, yeah. <laughs> so we were doing something similar, but yeah. And then I met Nate, found it super interesting was what he was working on. And then we went to all those industry events from politicians. So they were like Bank, Deutsche Bank and like all those. And there was LISC, like a blockchain back then and all those different groups doing events. That's how you usually get into parliament as you host events. So we went to all those events and it was just interesting to see how much everybody was doing in blockchain, but how little was actually getting done. It was just like a lot of words and a lot of, yeah, just empty promises. <laughs> and then, yeah, so basically Nate and I, we found it super interesting, this NFT. 
That's awesome. Stuff. And how Nate got into NFTs was that he worked in a startup before that was a kind of a swipe your credit card at Starbucks and get fractional shares as ownership. Just get fractional shares from a company the more you spend. And then he yeah. realized, sorry, you wanted to say something. Oh, no, I, I just wanted to clarify if it was shares from Starbucks or from like any company. No, from Starbucks. So the more you spend at Starbucks, the user got 0.001 shares. Or if you spend a lot of money at Nespresso or whatever company, like you got some shares as a reward of your spending. And so he worked a lot with fractional ownership. And then he Nate saw how difficult it was to move shares around shares in the system. He had to work with all those different groups like like Apex Clearing and before making it actually work and giving the shares of stock to customers. It was a super difficult process with a lot of intermediaries. Yeah. So that's where NFTs came in and where basically NFTs could be like shares of stock from a company. Interesting. And yeah, then in 2018, I actually met him after he won a hackathon in Prague, Debcon 4 hackathon. It was like a status hackathon. And then he was just fresh out with the idea and he built like the V0 of Mintbase, which was like a Minter, NFT Minter on Ethereum. That's amazing. Wow, what a story. It's crazy that I've been following both of you for a very long time and there were already in four minutes a lot of things that I didn't know. But before we get into the specifics, I'm really curious, do you think that things have changed much or do we still have a lot of empty words and no delivery, just promises? No, I think a lot of, t uh, a lot of things have changed. Like back then, like nothing was really, I mean, there were some, some products, but after 2018 or 2019, we had all those DeFi products coming out. So people like really used. DeFi and he really exploded. So we have a lot of successful products and OpenSea really found product market fit. All the crypto exchanges like Kraken, Coinbase also have found product market fit, but we're still early in general. If we look at the overall ecosystem, blockchain, not only near, but all the other chains. So I think Camila Russo said that from the Defiance said that there are 3 million active wallets in total in the blockchain space and we're still early right now. So if we're looking at all the different chains and we think, oh, they're not enough users. Yeah, because it's still a very early technology, yeah. but a lot of ch things have changed. I literally just like paused the mint based demo day videos to jump <laughs> on the podcast. And I know that the more that you surround yourself with builders, it might as well give it a bad connotation, but it is a, a bit of a filter bubble, which can sometimes be good. Like you surround yourself with good people, you get more things done. So I know that when we compare the buckets of activity where we are seeing progress with 2018, massive difference, but there is something about the industry that it also feels like we're spinning wheels. I do see a lot of words or deflection. People, for instance, focus on infrastructure because it's something that they can devote themselves to now. It may be interesting, it may be rewarding, maybe they can get funding. But there are some clear hurdles that we have to overcome that no one wants to think about yet. The real hard thing of getting that end user and having products that actually go through the normal product cycle, 
like Web2 would. No one really wants to think or talk about that. I even think that regulation now and fighting whatever old Congress people, that is itself a deflection because it keeps us busy, keeps us entertained, gives us a sense of belonging, and we're all the team fighting these old crooks. But we're not really building anything. <laughs> or there is a risk that we could be distracted from building. So that's why I was curious, because you come from within. Yeah, it's so different from the Web2 world. And the biggest hurdle we have right now is onboarding. Getting people into Web3 is difficult, because you first need to explain to them, what is a wallet? Why is a wallet important? And why should you own your own seed phrases? That is like the biggest onboarding hurdle. But I believe that this can be, can be getting easier over time. And we actually are working on a good onboarding tool. We are creating our own mint-based wallet, which would make it super simple and would store the... So basically, customers would not need to... Wallet creators would not need to save their seed phrase, but everything would be stored on passkey in a decentralized way, what we are doing, without the user knowing that they are opening a wallet. It's not ready yet. We're working on it right now, but we realize that it's the most difficult part, like onboarding and the wallets have not really made it any easier. So yeah. that is why yeah. we are working on that right now. I love it. It's a known unknown. The things that we assume are going to be hard, but we don't really realize until we get closer to the end user. And one step forward, it's two more steps on the to-do list. The reason why I'm really excited to have you in the podcast is because I first came across you. You may have actually been one of the first people that I came across the ecosystem. Because oh. I joined a create-based call in. I usually timestamp things by where I was living at the time. And this was like... <laughs> at least three houses ago. It would have been like May 2021. It was you, Chloe, and there was a really nice community vibe in that cult. The near ecosystem was very small and it was just great to see people being supportive, everyone working on their own things. It was a world of opportunity. Of, it was very inviting. Maybe you can share us a bit of that history of CreateBase. How does that group come to be? what happened to it in terms of the evolution, maybe some lessons from the create base era that may have been, may have influenced or informed other decisions. Definitely. And first of all, I've been following you a long time as well. So it's really amazing what you have created in the ecosystem and you're like one of the most active participants there. And also I like that you are not shy to criticize things that are wrong. A lot of people are always like, oh, everything is perfect. Everything is good. But you're really like, very it's precise. a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah, you just who you are, and this is, this is really cool. Yeah, so CreateBase was um, so we were one of the first projects on Mir, and back then we, yeah, when you start a new protocol, there are no users. There were like those. There was a Sputnik DAO, like the DAO engine before the Astro DAO came into place, and there were a few different DAOs, and one of them was CreateBase that we helped like getting birthed. And the aim of CreateBase, the DAO, was to get creatives into the near and mint-based ecosystem. So artists of all different areas, like musicians, just normal people to really get into the space and experiment with NFTs. That was a very interesting project because we had two people who were helping like Chloe the Deaf. And then we had also Maria and Lenara 
who helped govern the community. And it was really a lot of time <laughs> invested and just like a first trial of seeing what are people doing in the e ecosystem, like what are they doing with NFTs? What do they want to build? But it was very focused on just creators. Yeah. So there were yeah, different the... projects that arose. For example, we went to a festival, like a physical festival and onboarded. So we had some people from the creatives DAO, from CreateBase, who went to a festival and literally like onboarded people. Hey, create a new wallet. Was that Buildiverse? Yeah, it was Buildiverse. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, the way I describe it, the history and evolution of NIR, especially when it comes to trying to ascertain where we are now and funding priorities, is that before there was anything, there was the creatives. Like I remember back mm -hmm. in the day, the NIR wallet, super smooth onboarding, but you couldn't do function transfer calls. Like mm -hmm. tokens just couldn't be sent or you could only send NIR. You couldn't send anything else. The other thing was Berry Club, which is fun, painting mm -hmm. with pixels. Yeah. And yeah, the creatives community was a very logical fit because this is the way that I perceived it. Their demand on the technology was very low, or I guess their expectations were very low. So whatever was available at the time, they just became creative and played with it. It was a good niche to have live into the protocol. And it's just been very interesting to see how that has evolved over time. Did CreateBase eventually become Creatives DAO or there were always separate groups? There were always separate groups. So okay. Creatives DAO arose, I don't know, like probably one and a half years ago or two years ago. And then CreateBase and all other DAOs that were under the Creatives DAO didn't receive funding anymore after a while because now everything is more professionalized than it used to be. Yeah. Everything is more professionalized. Yeah. Things have definitely changed. <laughs> it's, do you have any thoughts on that? Decentralization is super hard. What we saw back then with the creative style was that a lot of money was given out to different parties and not everybody has good intentions to build something serious in the ecosystem. So it was just a wild distribution of funds. And I feel that it's super important to have a DAO-like structure in distributing funds. And that is what the NDC is now aiming to achieve, to decentralize everything and to have kind of community funding being governed by, by different parties. That's why the elections are going on at the moment. And it takes yeah, time. A, nothing is perfect. It's just, it's a slow process. Yeah. What I find fascinating is I'm learning how to code. Again. Oh, nice. And with what do you have a uh, code academy or uh, uh, code camp? Nice. I'm going through their curriculum. So HTML, CS, and the next one is JavaScript. So I hope that with those two, I'll be able to do more things around the boss and components. But one thing that I love about the engineering side of things, and in weird ways, it actually has some similarities with the law is that it is very structured. It starts one way, it goes the other way. If something is missing, like the cycle is not complete. Maybe you can see some parallels with the German bureaucracy side of things. And one of the concepts that I really like is technical debt. You do something, it works, but you know that it works for now, or you know that there's limitations, or you know that there's going to be work down the line that you'll just have to do to be able to keep growing. And I've been thinking a lot about the concept of like social debt or like community mm -hmm. debt. I think that we definitely took some shortcuts. We overfunded some communities just to pretend we had a community. 
And then we have some incentives that may not be aligned. Some incentives may just be completely upside down. Marketing and creative style, even if they were both benevolent and super efficient, no judgment there. We never had a builder style or a startup style or like at some point when the technology was ready and it is increasingly better to welcome new developers and new builders, the support was not there. So I feel like that's a gap that we have now. And it's great to see that we're all very much aligned or increasingly aligned towards admission. It's just that now we have the general election hurdle, like who votes? So, yeah. Yeah, we need to get more people in the ecosystem and more builders as you are now like learning to code and you'll probably see where your expertise or your interest is now and where you would need more support. That is definitely, yeah, it's a process and... It's nothing is perfect, but if you look at other chains, they don't have such such good DAO mechanisms. Ethereum, yeah, it's a different story, but it took Most years. Most chains Ethereum. are a disaster. Exactly. <laughs> we look, for example, at the, yeah, at the ecosystems. Exactly. But coming back to your point, what you said earlier, like you think that has a lot changed since 2018 and the biggest hurdle is that not so many people are using the technology and that a lot of Web2 people can't really get into Web3. We really believe, like we had a come to Jesus moment, like the last three months where we really woke up and we're like, Jesus Christ, this AI stuff is, is going to change the Web3 world because it's a natural fit like NFTs and AI. And what I mean by that is that we are working or we have now a chat GPT plugin live where you can basically make commands on chat GPT. And this doesn't only mean chat GPT, but in the future, you will be able to just do Ziri. Hey, mint me this NFT or I want you to buy the jacket from the Matrix movie. And then it triggers the action behind the yeah. scenes. And then the Matrix movie character who was wearing the, the jacket, you know, like that is an NFT. Anyway, it's going too far, but how we got this idea is that one of our team members, Microship, he was experimenting a little bit with like boss components. And then he said to Nate, what if I try to build like a, to have a plugin with ChatGPT? And then Nate was like, I'm not sure. I'm a little bit, I'm not really into this topic. And then we were like, okay, why if we cannot if we can build boss components, we could also build other components with AI platforms. And then this came to life. And yeah, the future is looking really like we won't even have a minting tool anymore. Like you go to mintbase.xyz and use the minter. The future will be using BART, ChatGPT or other tools to generate that NFT for you. I had a similar come to Jesus moment. But I'm curious, did you... And the team, by any chance, also have an existential crisis before the come to Jesus moment? Obviously, yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah. I was seriously wondering, like, AI is exploding and we're here trying to do whatever. Like, this just looks really bad compared to not only how fast it is growing, but the seemingly shorter loops for creating value. Like, I joined mm -hmm. a few discords for Meet Journey and, like, Leonardo.ai. And the hundreds of people joining per hour. And I was like, this is insane. Like, maybe we're in the wrong thing. And I was in a particularly weird place because I was like, Iliad comes from this space. 
he could be making probably hundreds of millions by now if he had stayed in AI, but he's on this side. So maybe he knows something that we don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I am increasingly convinced that the motherfucker is working towards a vision that is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Always two steps beyond what is revealed to the public. Did you see that Coindesk article that he just released, written about him? No. He talks about the collaboration or the synergy between AI and Web3. And it's a little bit broader view than the NFT one that you've mentioned, but he talks about what the strengths of each one are. AI, very large data sets, aggregating information, very analytical, very objective. And then Web3, basically worldwide collaboration and trust. And he basically starts hinting at DAOs assisted by AIs that could actually Mm -hmm. unlock very large groups of people working towards very large goals. And I was like, mate, just say it. Fuck DNDC, (laughs) we're going to get some bots in here and Yeah, Yeah, he has a vision for sure. But this is also where the account abstraction comes in. All the other chains like Ethereum and other chains are trying to solve that issue, but it's already live on Neo. We have account abstraction, meaning that we can create an account for someone else. And then later on, when, you know, the company that we created this account for learned a lot about Web3, they can just take the pass key and delete our access. So that's the beauty about it. It's just so flawless. I love it. Those are one of the things that when you tell devs, they start paying attention. And I first noticed that at ETH Denver last year. I just joined a table. I was doing my thing. Some people were hacking, were talking. And I was onboarding them with near names. And the more technical you are, the more they say, I'm not clicking on a link or how do I know that you don't have the private keys? There were a lot yeah. of questions, good OPSEC. And the minute you say you can replace the private keys, you can literally just go home and get a completely new private set of keys. If you didn't trust a Wi-Fi, you don't trust me, whatever. That's when they're like, what? For real? Yeah. And yeah, it's very powerful. I also like that even the Mint-based smart contracts, as I understand them, every store has their own smart contract. Yeah. But there is mm-hmm. a key that, at least for now, is also controlled by Mintbase so yep. that there can be upgrades done more easily. But once again, at any time, you can basically let the yep. baby go. Yeah. and Exactly. That's the goal. And if we look at the near ecosystem, there are like 2,335 smart contracts in total. And on Mintbase, they are like 1,531. So we are like a smart contract engine and we want people to really own their own smart contracts because... That's the future of the decentralization. If Mintbase dies one day, then the users would still have their, their NFTs as long as Nia and Aweave exist. So people should not be dependent on a project to keep their NFTs alive. And yeah, that's why we chose to go that path. There's two things that I would like if you could comment on. The first one is NFTs as a technology. I know that we already alluded that you came into NFTs through Nate and Nate came in through a very real world use case, basically the digital representation of a real world thing. Since there's been this crazy PFPs and I really admire Mintbase for never falling to temptation of chasing trends or, and there's now the more broader art category. How would you define a utility NFT to people, or what would be that grand vision where Minbase 
would like to be in, that it's not necessarily mm-hmm. constrained to some of these more immediate trends? Yeah, so first of all, we, we didn't really see what potential PFPs actually have because PFPs, uh, like we never jumped on the trend, that's true, but actually like all the different characteristics, all the different the color and the different traits that really that you can be really detailed on like those traits are basically just imagine like Amazon having the search of books like blue books, yellow books, cookbooks. So it helps NFTs to be more granulized. So to be more detailed, that is something that we didn't see like the potential of the PFP trend moving that forward a little bit. But utility NFTs, you really see happening in the image licensing field. For example, we are now working with Nick von Rupp and Baron Davis athletes, and they are a lot, or they rely a lot on selling their content. So images of them surfing or from Baron Davis playing basketball. So the biggest hurdle they have is like communicating with the brand agencies and they are writing emails back and forth and then writing up a contract. So first they're negotiating, then they are writing up a contract, going on DocuSign, signing agreements, and then sending the money over. This whole process takes a lot of time. And we're building this image licensing platform with them, or we are like, they are building it with the Mint-based grants program so that they can easily sell their images in a decentralized way to their brands. And that is a real utility use case. And I feel like, yes, there are other utility use cases like NFT ticketing, for example, is, is a real u- utility, but it's still a long way to go because you need to dial in the check-in process, the redeeming process. You need to have internet at the venue. There are a lot of hurdles. And we just think that the first utility use case for now is going to be image licensing because it's all digital and it's a real problem that those athletes have and NFT technology can really solve that problem of negotiating and also having the PDF, like the contract and the metadata of the NFT. Interesting. That's a key thing, right? Like we got to find the real problems or the real use cases. I've been working on the like grassroots strategy for mm-hmm. Australia. I'm finally back and I'm freezing. This winter is horrible. One of the pillars that I'm working on is one I call case studies. So that one, I almost look at it from the content creation side. We speak mm-hmm. English. Most of the content on here is in English. We don't really have to waste people's time or resources repackaging what it's already out there. But we do want to create case studies that basically look at the world around us and try to identify where would be some good examples of where the tech stack could fit a role or present a solution. There's a couple that I've identified. I went to a pre-accelerator pitch night Mm -hmm. and as we walk out, I'm talking to one of the private equity guys and he's, oh yeah, Web3, cute, but I don't really get it. Give me a use case. And I was like, okay, let's assume that the accelerator program tells everyone that pitched tonight, hey, the last stage of the program after the pitching is go outside and join the networking drinks, try to raise money, like up to a hundred bucks per head will match. See if anyone is interested, they want to pre-commit money, they just want to donate. So there you would have microtransactions and you can have the funds matching. You could even be done automatically. But most interestingly to me would be 
creating a bit of a DAO where all these mm-hmm. early users, you can basically re-engage them. Could be user feedback, user research. They can actually make decisions around the branding. Like you're just creating a very, a direct relationship between you and the user without relying on any intermediary. You don't have to go and sign up for some tooling. They don't have to create an account with an email. Like that is one of the use case examples. And ideally from use case, if it is presented to the right people and it makes sense, we can then build experiences. You know, smaller proof of concepts, that's not going to be the next huge thing in year, but it's about making those inroads with people that maybe web through crypto skeptic, or they may be very familiar with other crypto ecosystems. Both are hard because the solution that you present to them need to be exponentially better than what they're used to doing, or they're just not mm-hmm. going to make the shift. Yeah. I like that you yeah. guys are also looking at those real problems when it comes to the grantees. I'll include the link to the Mint-based demo day so that everyone can join me in watching all those videos. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for pointing out the grants program. This is also like what we're really excited about. People are actually building super useful tools like PWX is a Portuguese whiskey exchange. <laughs> So they're actually the physical distillery here in Lisbon. And their theory is, yeah, whiskey is super famous, mostly from Scottish Highlands or Ireland, but there is no whiskey in Portugal. So they are creating their own whiskey here. And because of the intense heat and the really cold, cold nights, it's actually a very interesting natural environment for, for the oats. I believe that whiskey, wheats that whiskey are made with, and so they store like the casks in here in Portugal. And anyway, so they now are selling whiskey casks as NFTs because you can actually cask mm. a cask. How big is a cask? So it has, I believe, so it depends because it takes seven years to be drinkable, the whiskey, but you can buy it. And oh my I God. think at the end of the seven years, you have a hundred liters of whiskey. Mm. Like last year lifetime and okay. yeah. how much? Yeah. How much? What we're gonna do uh-huh. is I'm gonna buy a cask and we'll oh, just wow. hold it on behalf of the podcast or maybe we'll raffle it and in seven years we get shit faced together. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. I think it's expensive though. It's seven thousand yeah. dollars or something. Dow money for that. Yeah, maybe we create a DAO, a whiskey DAO or something. <laughs> um, to be honest. Yeah. We need to think it through a little bit, but it wouldn't be the craziest thing to put a marketing DAO grant. Because if yeah. you look at it as a seven-year thing and <laughs> the NFT is actually held by a DAO, so that whomever is, still, do it. whomever is still standing in seven years, you get to drink it. I think we should do it. Done. Okay. Yeah. I'll have my okay. people talk to your people. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. And it's an NFT as well, minted on their, no, actually minted on Mintbase, but their goal is to have their own minting tool on their side. But it's, uh, they use the Mintbase technology. It's a bit because it's alcohol, they're still using centralized tools like DocuSign. So you actually have to like sign like a contract because you cannot just buy alcohol. Especially a hundred liters. Exactly. Although technically, if you were 15 years old today and you buy Mm -hmm. the NFT, you'll be overage by the time you can actually get the whiskeys. Good point. (laughs) Yeah. Might as well just sell it to the 14 year olds. Yeah. Or even (laughs) younger in Germany, you can drink when you're 18. So when you're like 11. Lovely. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Couple of questions. How 
much of the decision to build on Nier do you think has to be with meeting other people that are building on Nier and that team inspiring confidence or being able to assist them technically? I would imagine that there's a big regional element happening in Lisbon with this density of builders and brains. Yeah, definitely. We are in the Lisbon ecosystem. So a lot of people have heard about us and about Neil. So I believe PWX, like those people, we met them here in Lisbon. But we also have grantees from all over the world. So it's not only Lisbon confined. But we did a lot of experimentation here. So we did redeemable NFTs with restaurants in Lisbon at Nearcon two years ago, where we gave out burrito NFTs or wine NFTs, where people could basically go to the venue and burn the NFT. And then they actually received the glass of wine or the cheese board or the burrito. So you can see we are all about utility NFTs already like two years ago and nobody knew what it was. Do you think, because this is a challenge that we're trying to grapple with through the original communities DAO, I feel like the standard is higher the more niche you go. Marketing super broad, but if you mm -hmm. want to be in a region, then there have to be like region-specific initiatives. And I'm thinking of ways that we could recreate playbooks of the regions where we have the most activity, like New York, Lisbon, Korea, and mm -hmm. Vietnam are like blasting. So if Mintbase has either any playbooks from what you've tried, any lessons, but especially any technology that you think that we could also try to replicate in other areas, because I've had very similar ideas. I saw an ad, and I'm sure that now that I'm saying it, I'll see it again. There is a company here that apparently you can buy ads on like billboards or like bus stops, but very, like very small. You could basically buy like, happy birthday, Harry. You can be very... <laughs> yeah very niche and I was thinking mm -hmm. like I want to run an experiment buying like a handful of ads could be for a handful of days but there needs to be a very clear call to action and it needs to be a loop where we need to know what we want to test and know whether we succeeded like for instance be like hey I'm Alejandro coffee on me and then there's a QR code and we can work on those experiences and yeah these are the things that make me excited the technology yep. and the product and the ideas make me want to stay, like this is my tribe. Some of the governance and the bureaucracy and just crazy people make me want to run as far away as possible. Yeah, but it's normal. Just look at Ethereum and like how long it has actually taken for people to get excited about the technology. Or Everybody back in 2019 was not such a big fan of Polygon and now Polygon is doing like Instagram NFTs and it just takes the time for technologies. The last man standing is also... Yeah, but the issue <laughs> that I have, or, or the fear that I have, I should say, is Ethereum is doing relatively well. But depending on how granular you get, they may actually have a big problem from that hypermobility. So say you're in Ethereum, you don't like it. You go to Polygon, you go to Peak 8 and EVM. There's a lot of them. The lack of composability between those EVMs it's a problem that is going to hold back the entire ecosystem because any user that gets onboarded to any of those EVMs and they have a shit experience sets us all back. That's probably the most common conversation that I have these days. People that got burned last two years, whether financially, mm -hmm. NFTs, rug pulls, whatever the case may be, it takes us back like way longer. And yeah, there's probably an element there as well around just like the talent 
and the scales spreading too far so that we're just progressing a lot slower. So my only, what really gets me passionate sometimes about Nier is let's not create an environment where we know that we're losing talent because mm. sure, we'll be fine or maybe someone will fork Nier or maybe there'll be progress won't stop. But because the community is so small now and the losses are so visible or so tangible, that's where I'm like, we could probably do better than that. But yes, I'm with you. We'll just keep going. Yeah. And also it's a bear market right now. So it's really tough for anyone to build a project with a lot of users. But it's the best technology out there and the things we can do. And as you told me earlier, this article about Ilya, like he has a vision and he really sees that. AI and the technology that Nia has really complement each other. It's definitely a process. Like the internet wasn't born in 10 years or something. It was like several decades <laughs> until mass adoption. And I believe it's the same for Web3. We just need to keep cranking and look for that product market fit wherever we can. The crazy thing with the internet, and I was a kid when I remember my mom picking me up from school and she had the band, what's Big it called? the bandwidth modem thingy yeah so we went from the from like proper internet from there to what we have now it was a really weird chicken and the egg where at times we just had way more bandwidth and speed like there was nothing to do online and then we have more and more powerful applications where we just can't keep up and this actually happened to me recently with the 5g on my phone they tried to upsell me, like it was a much more expensive plan for 5G. And I was like, I don't need 300 megabytes on my phone. Now yeah. I'm like, it's only 50 bucks more. Yeah, <laughs> We need to get to that space in Web3 where some applications just need to break the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And some infrastructure may just seem a little bit over the top or it may not make sense right now. But it needs to be there to enable those applications. I know that Mintbase has never really been an NFT exchange, you've always been more on that infrastructure play. So I'm wondering how you see that macro picture. Near has infra, Mintbase has Mintfra, and now there's all these really cool projects coming on top. Where are we at in that puzzle? Yeah, I think looking, looking at the Mintbase grantees is super interesting because we build a technology that helps them to build their own NFT businesses. So all the hard work has been done. Like when we were first on Nier, there was no indexer. We had to create our own indexer and all those technologies that existed back then on Ethereum were not there on Nier. But now people who are getting into the ecosystem have all the technology built and it's super easy for them to create their own NFT marketplaces, NFT projects. So I feel like just now the technology is ripe enough for a lot of other builders to come on board. So that is very exciting that now we are at the stage and with this AI innovation that is happening right now, there are so many cool things that people can build upon. Amazing. Are you going by any chance to near APAC? No. Are you? I haven't booked, but yes, those are the plans. I should be booking within the next two weeks. Yeah, you should let us know how, how that one will be because I think it's going to be really big, right? Yes, my experience from Korea was really interesting because it's a huge ecosystem, especially it's grown like massively since last year, but they can be very insular, like they're just doing their thing. Like even during that It's Seoul and Asia Biddle Week, there were a ton of announcements, like very large deals from Korea. 
but these are companies that are local, even like big mm-hmm. securities companies and stuff. I think that Vietnam has a similar profile. They're doing a lot, like universities, students, talent, ideas. Yeah. A lot of those things may just not be as visible to the rest of the world. So I'm really excited to see what the team is putting together. And uh, yeah, I, in the weirdest of ways, because Australia is really not close to Vietnam by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. <laughs> it's still a long way, but it feels close, at least emotionally, so like we're listening. on there for sure. But we're yeah. on the same side of the world, like opposite hemispheres, but same side of the world. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. It's really exciting to me to see that growth in APAC, like Indonesia has great talent and team. Mm. Singapore has always been excellent. We've always had teams in China. It's great to see that decentralization in practice. I like when we have something that is so exciting that we're all talking about it, but I also mm-hmm. like when a team can just go away and ship and build their user base and we don't have to know about it. Ideally, we don't even have to do anything about it to have more and more people winning. So Exciting. And are you planning to attend Nikon in Lisbon as well? Yes, yes. If if we manage to get the general election going and we can get these DAOs funded, and, yeah. and I'll tell you some alpha. And I'll tell you, and I guess it's you and I, people can hold me accountable. I have a little idea. I want to buy a Raspberry Pi and connect the camera module and a Wi-Fi module. And then somehow I'll figure it out, install, like, even if it's just like a wallet, and connect it to Mintbase so I can go around the conference taking photos with a little, almost like a little disposable Kodak. But as you take the photo, it means the NFT. And I know that means to had it on mobile cool. phones the last year. Yeah. But I feel like the gadget element. And I think Let's you can do, do it for 200 bucks. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And Yeah, cool. We should definitely talk and set up another call to see how we can support you but anyways i also wanted to ask you because you've been like so long in the ecosystem but i actually don't know like your background and what you have been up to what you're focusing on now maybe you can tell a bit more yeah i like my formal education was law and i've always said that lawyers are really either really good entrepreneurs or really bad entrepreneurs and the reason for that very very wide dichotomy is that we're trained in assessing risk. That's basically the only thing that gets drilled into your brain. The good entrepreneurs are able to see opportunity in risk. They know that is the area where there are failures in the market, shortcomings in regulation, other people don't play. If they can come up with a different strategy, especially if technology enables them to overcome that risk, if they were to be successful, that's where the opportunity is. The really bad entrepreneurs stop at the risk. They will basically tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it. So yeah, I spent very little time practicing as a lawyer because I was doing corporate consultancy startups, a lot of Web3. And I realized pretty quickly that I wanted to be on the risk-taking side, which was the innovation side. So my first job in startups was like sales, because what do you do with a law degree in a startup? And Near has been very organic. Like I was on the community side, a variety of gigs. I am the epitome of the gig economy. And even though I've had many roles on the governance side as a, almost like on a as needed basis, make sure that the ecosystem is able to go and succeed. I do have 
much more interest on that product side, you know, especially the end user side, the user journey, growth hacking. I geek out going to the Near Explorer and seeing the number of transactions. We're actually up 600,000 after months at 300,000. Mm-hmm. And I saw the town hall is all these like gaming people coming over. So that's why sometimes I lose my shit on these Telegram groups because I'm like, hey, it's the same 10 people talking shit to each other. Mm-hmm. Where are the 150,000 wallets playing Play Ember or the whatever? So it's a... It's an exercise of constantly identifying where the North Star is and recalibrating. Does that answer your question? Yeah, super interesting. I never knew that you had a law background. Yeah, yeah. I started very idealistic because I grew up in Venezuela. So I thought law is the best way to help an impact in society. I want to work for the UN, hold these mm-hmm. corrupt governments to account. And halfway through, it's a very common experience. You realize that lawyers, for the most part, you just get paid. And whoever pays you the mm-hmm. most, that's the most likely outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere along the way, I discovered Bitcoin and there was something about that cypherpunk ethos on the manifesto. Mm-hmm. The internet shall be opened. People are not going to be held back. Information should be free. It just really stuck with me. And especially the more that I see the world becoming digital and the latest and most extreme example is AI. Like with this last three months of AI, I'm pretty sure we're living in a simulation. Yeah. (laughs) The more digital that we are, the more important it is for me to fight for these values and make sure that things remain open and decentralized as much as possible. Yeah. I would have never been able to predict where I am Mm -hmm. at any point in time, even six months back, but I don't think I have many regrets. Very, very interesting for sure. Interesting yeah. thought process. I think a lot of people are in the space because of this idealistic background, right? And that's the biggest impact we can have because of, on the financial side of things, that is where you usually have a lot of impact. And after all, Web3 is a new financial layer. It's easy to write it off because we're surrounded by it. Mm-hmm. But technology really is magic. The fact that we're recording this once We took each one or two hours of our day, but many people will listen to it at different times around the world. Like I go to my YouTube analytics and even when I've spent two months without releasing a video, it's crazy to me that the old videos are still getting views. That's Mm -hmm. what motivates me to keep creating content, especially evergreen content. Because you know that even if you're busy doing something else, and even if you can't go to a computer for more than two hours a day, for while you're at a conference, it's still reaching people. And the internet in general is the same. Like you deploy a smart contract if it's properly decentralized and it's got a real use case. As you say, the team could vanish in a submarine or whatever. (laughs) The smart contract should still be there. And I just found that incredibly empowering. Yeah, it is for sure. Unfortunately, I have to go soon because we're meeting Nick van Roop, like this surfer. He actually lives in Portugal, like an hour from us. And Nate and I are driving there now to work on discussing more about his image licensing platform. But if you like, like I can, I'm sorry, I only have this one hour, but if we can meet another day. No worries. I know that you are very busy and it sounds like the meeting is definitely worth it. So safe driving. Thank you so much for organizing this podcast and you're doing a great job. I love watching the videos that you are creating. Oh, thank you. I had a blast as well. Thanks so much. 
Thank you. Speak soon. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because, let's be honest, you are amazing! And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained on this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice, and you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.